With summer drawing to a close here in Cambridge, and schools already in session across much of the nation, it's time for the Ednext podcast to return from its annual vacation. And, as has become our habit, we've timed our return to coincide with the release of the Education Next poll, which came out on August 20th and is available now at educationnext.org. I'm Marty West, Editor-in-Chief of Education Next, and joining me today to discuss the results of this year's poll is Paul Peterson, the journal's senior editor and my co-author on an article on our website detailing the poll's findings. Paul, thanks for taking the time to talk. Thanks, Marty. It's fun to join you once again to talk about the uh, Ednext poll. So there's been no shortage of news in American education over the past year. We have the Trump administration continuing its advocacy for school choice, putting forward a proposal for a federal tax credit program. We have candidates for the Democratic presidential nomination calling for free college and a major increase in federal spending on K-12 schools. And the wave of teacher activism that began in 2018 has continued this spring with strikes in Los Angeles, Denver, and beyond. As usual, our survey provides a window into how these and other developments are shaping the public's thinking on education policy. What was most striking to you in this year's data? (laughs) Well, Marty, I think the most surprising thing is that people uh, like their local schools, but they want more of just about everything. They want to spend more. They want to pay teachers more. They want more school choice. They want free college. Uh, everything is going up. And I, I, I would have thought is things are going, might be going left or might be going right, but no, it's, there's no left-right movement that I can detect, but I can, I can see a lot of uh, support for lots of contradictory things. And hanging in the background is something you said just in passing right at the start of that comment, which was that we've seen this uh, quite substantial increase in Americans' views of the schools in their local community, right? We have a nine percentage point jump in the past year in the share of the public assigning an A or a B grade to their local school. Uh, I believe that puts it at, where are we now? Uh, 60%. 60% now do that. Yeah, 60% as compared to about 25% supporting uh, thinking an A or B is a grade you would want to give to the nation's schools. So, so the nation's schools, they still don't like. That stays about the same. But the local schools, they like more than ever. And that's a divide that's always been there, but it's just grown uh, quite uh, a bit uh, over the past several years, now really substantial. Yeah, uh, it used to be like uh, 45% and, you know, 25% to 45%, about 20 percentage point difference. Now, now it's like a 40 percentage point difference. And perhaps that helps explain why people are open to some of these big reform ideas that politicians have been putting on the table if they're really concerned about the performance of the nation's uh, schools. Yeah, well, they may be reading in the press that, you know, there's a problem out there in American education. They don't see it in their own school, but they they sort of uh, know there must be one because people are talking about it. And so they will uh, support Whatever is being offered out there, we got to spend more money. We got to pay our teachers more. We got to have more vouchers. We got to have more tax credits. We got to have more charter schools. I mean, it's it's amazing. Well, so let's zero in on the topic of school choice first, and we ask as usual about a variety of different policy instruments that fall under that heading. Uh, we ask about 
vouchers that would be targeted to low-income students. We talk about a more universal voucher program. We also ask about this concept of providing tax credits for donations to organizations that provide scholarships that allow students to attend private school, as well as about charter schools. Uh, the overall picture is one of increasing support for most of those ideas uh, between 2016 to 2019. Uh, we look at that period in part because that's the period where you have uh, the Trump administration, Betsy DeVos as Secretary of Education, out there really banging the drum in favor of these ideas. And I'm at least a bit surprised given some of the attacks that she's experienced uh, from prominent politicians that she seems to be winning over some folks. Yeah, I, I really don't understand it because uh, just you're reading the newspapers, I feel like the opposition to school choice has to be increasing out there. Uh, certainly the opposition to charters has uh, been has intensified. You've, you've found the uh, NAACP expressing opposition to it. Of course, the unions are opposed, but they seem to be more opposed now than ever before. Uh, so the, this intensity of the opposition has grown. And the Trump administration is not a particularly popular administration. I mean, if Trump were commanding a 60% uh, approval rating, uh, then you could see why uh, school choice is getting so much support. But, but school choice is gathering support despite the fact that it's backed by a relatively unpopular administration and is being opposed by uh, a very strenuous political opposition. And that pattern that you just noted of increasing support is clearest for uh, universal voucher programs where support has grown from, say, 45% to 55% over that 2016 to 2019 window. Uh, the tax credit model has just always been quite popular and still commands close to 60% uh, uh, support. It's charters where we've seen a more interesting pattern over this uh, period. We saw a very large drop in support between 2016 and 2017. Uh, but since 2017, we've seen support climb back up and it reached 48% this year. The interesting thing to me was that as support has increased since 2017, we've also seen opposition tick up a little bit to the charter school concept. What that means is that fewer of our respondents are saying that they have no opinion on the matter. Uh, what do you make of that? Well, I, I do think that charters are more part of the conversation. They are serving an ever-growing segment of the population. Uh, people uh, have heard uh, about charters. They may not know much about charters. The questions we asked trying to get a charter knowledge didn't see any change in the percentage of of, of, of respondents who, who knew whether they taught religion or whether they could charge tuition. People were wrong in the past. They're still wrong uh, about as often as they are right, and most people don't even dare guess. So uh, I don't think people know more about charters, but they hear more about charters, and the hearing that they get is, is uh, from one side of the political aisle or the other, and therefore that's the, those are the conditions under which political polarization uh, develops. 
So school choice is getting a favorable reception, but so are proposals to increase teacher pay, to increase school spending. We see the Democratic presidential candidates out talking about the need to do both of those things. And so it was interesting to see that uh, 56% of the public, even after being told what teachers currently earn in their state, say that those salaries should be increased. That's a seven percentage point jump over last year and fully 20 percentage points higher than 2017. Uh, if you don't tell respondents how much teachers currently earn, an overwhelming 72% of the public says that their pay should increase. Um, an issue that's getting a lot of momentum. Well, you know, I'm not so surprised that people want to uh, increase teacher pay when they don't know how, how much they're currently being paid. Uh, but in the past, when we've told people uh, how much the average teacher is being paid in their state, that's pretty much depressed uh, support for increases in teacher salaries. But that's no longer the case. Uh, you now have uh, a clear majority of the population uh, supporting increasing teacher salaries even after they've been told what the average teacher is currently being made. And I think teachers uh, are in, in the driver's seat right now. And, and uh, you're going to see some responses uh, at all levels of government to teacher demands. I, I think these, this is definitely a signal that we're going to see uh, more, uh, more done for teachers uh, pay than, than we've ever seen in the past. In both versions of that question, with and without information, we're finding levels of support for a pay increase that's higher than it's been at any time since 2008. That year, we fielded our survey at what turned out to be the very peak of the housing bubble just prior to the financial crisis. We then saw support for increasing teacher pay fall sharply during the Great Recession, but now it's about fully recovered. Uh, I hope that's not some sort of economic signal uh, that we should be interpreting. But I think to some degree, it does reflect the strength of the economy. Yeah, no, I think you're right, uh, Marty, that uh, we should see this uh, increasing support for spending in education and for teacher salaries as uh, Americans feeling good about uh, their themselves and about the economy. And wages are going up uh, in general across uh, the board. And so people are more willing to say, yeah, teachers too should have an increase in pay. And of course, the group that's out there making this case are the teachers unions. Uh, and I was interested to see this year that the public continues to adopt a more favorable view of unions. So we ask respondents whether they think unions have a generally positive or a generally negative effect on the schools in their community. The share saying that they have a generally positive influence is now up to 43%. It was uh, as low as 30% in 2015. So it seems to me that the public image of teachers unions has really recovered uh, over the past several years. They went through some rough times, I think, during the Obama administration in particular, and, and they really seem to have turned that around. Well, it may go back even to No Child Left Behind and the sort of, so, okay, we're going to hold schools accountable. And by holding schools accountable, that was implying you're going to hold teachers accountable. And there was a feeling that maybe the uh, education industry wasn't doing its job and needed to be, somebody needed to, to, to uh, tighten things up. And now uh, No Child Left Behind is pretty much abandoned, and we, have, uh, we still do testing, but we don't pay much attention to the results. And so I think uh, you might say it was the Bush-Obama administration 
being replaced by uh, a Trump administration <laughs> that leads to this uh, amazing uh, change. Well, so let's turn to one other broad topic where we saw uh, increased support, and that's school spending. Uh, so over the past two years, we have seen an increase not just in support for increasing teacher pay, but in support for increasing government funding generally. Uh, when we give people information about what's currently being spent in their district, we find 50% uh, say that that level should increase. 62% if they're not given information on current spending levels. But in both cases, that's again up over the past two years at or near uh, an all-time high. Uh, this year, we, in addition to just asking about government funding generally, we asked specifically about whether federal spending, state spending, and local spending should increase. What did you make of those results? Well, I actually find this quite intriguing because um, you know, the reality out there is that the federal government only contributes 10% of the total cost of education in K-12. So uh, the, the remaining 90% is split about half between the local district and the state. And so they each contribute about 45% of the total with the feds at 10%, as I said. Turns well, out not many Americans actually know those facts that you just shared, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, most people think it's about one-third, one-third, one-third. It sounds like, you know, if you don't think about it, well, we have three tiers of government. They're all contributing to education. It must be about the same. But it's not, of course. The federal role is very de minimis compared to what the state and local governments are doing. But the public actually thinks uh, that it, the federal government is spending about a third, and they are very enthusiastic about the federal government spending more, whether or not they're told the reality. So when they're told the reality, that actually makes them say, oh, really? They're only contributing 10%? They should be paying up more than that. And so... Uh, uh, yeah, and they don't want the local governments to pick up more of the bill. They, they feel like the local governments are doing more than their share now. So there's a real bias in the public's thinking. It's the opposite of what it really is today. Feds should do more. Locals should do less. Well, that was what was most striking to me is that you really see a quite substantial difference in the level of support for increasing school spending if you're asking about the federal government versus the local government. People seem a bit stingier despite their view that more should be spent when it comes to their local government and presumably their local taxes. Uh, they're a bit more generous when we're asking about the federal government. And that's especially the case if they're told just how little the federal government currently chips in. Yeah, actually, uh, you know, some people say all the money should come out of the local taxpayer because the local taxpayer really cares about how the local money is being spent. And when, you, uh, when the, the feds are paying for something, everybody thinks somebody else is paying for it except for them. So this is sort of uh, consistent with that kind of idea that, that people are, are, they, they watch their pennies when they come out of their local pockets, but not when they come out of their federal pockets. And so it's no surprise that we see Democratic presidential candidates, uh, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, uh, and others, out there calling for a substantial increase in federal spending on K-12 schools in particular. Yes, and it will be interesting to see if the Republicans 
uh, can resist that. Uh, maybe, I mean, they have up until now. Generally speaking, Republicans take the position that it's, it's a state and local matter. But whether or not uh, they can um, uh, hold the line against this level of public support f- for uh, increased federal role, I, I'm, not, I'm not so sure. And of course, the other big idea we've been hearing a lot about on the Democratic presidential campaign trail is free college or eliminating tuition to attend colleges and universities. This is a question we haven't asked about previously, in part because it really hasn't been on the political agenda for a very long time. It's an amazing percentage of Americans who support uh, free four-year public colleges. So 60% of the general public wants free four-year education. 79% of the Democrats do. That's, that's close to 80%. Now, Republicans don't buy into that. They're at 35%. But, but the, for the junior colleges, that is to say two-year colleges, if they're public two-year colleges, then even Republicans, 47%, want them to be free. And for Democrats, then that's at 85%. So Democrats are on board for free college for just about, you know, just about, all, you know, four out of five. That's a, that's a tremendous uh, positive. And Republicans are somewhere between a third and a half, depending on whether you're talking about two-year or four-year. Uh, so, you know, that's a level of support for a policy change that helps to explain exactly why uh, almost every Democrat out there is for free college. And I guess uh, there, I guess Elizabeth Warren is saying, but not for the very, very, very rich, but almost everybody else. I think her she only wants to forgive loans for everyone but the very, very rich. Uh, but there have been some candidates like Pete uh, Buttigieg, Mayor Pete, who uh, has raised some questions. In fact, Ira Stoll, our managing editor, did some reporting up in, in New Hampshire, asked him about uh, his support for free colleges and, and found that, uh, uh, you know, he, he was willing to raise some questions about whether that is a good investment of resources, given that it's largely the affluent who tend to attend four-year colleges and those who do attend tend to do fairly well later in their lives. So it's not clear that, uh, making four-year college free is as progressive as it, uh, as it sounds. Although in Europe, uh, the progressive nations do have free colleges, uh, for uh, just about everybody who can get in through the door. The Germans tried to cut back on that uh, when the uh, conservatives were in power a few years back. They said, why should rich kids get free college? But the public was so supportive of free college for everybody that uh, they had to backtrack. And so you, you have to sort of can say to yourself, is this coming? Is this something that's going to become a part of the American landscape? And how is that going to change the American higher education? Well, it certainly would be a uh, major change. Uh, and uh, it's fun to have the opportunity to talk through our results and uh, what they may imply with you. So, Paul, thanks for the conversation. Uh, it was fun, as always, working on this project. And we look forward to seeing what uh, others make of the findings. Well, thank you, Marty, for uh, inviting me to join the podcast uh, and to discuss the uh, 2019 Education Next poll. You've been listening to the Ednext podcast. If you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you use so that you don't miss an episode.
And especially if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. It helps us find more listeners and more listeners to find us.